Welcome to the Faithful Christian Podcast. So yes, salvation is secured for us all at That's once, really you know, when we come to Christ. But salvation is also at work yeah. in us. And a part of that sanctification process mm-hmm. is letting the Spirit work in every area of life. And I can think about, for Amen. me, um, like when I was younger, I think I think in the podcast, Christian, I think I might have said I was nine when my parents divorced. And then my mom texted me and was like, actually, you're 11 or something like that. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so oh, I was 11. This is public clarification. <laughs> All right. Public clarification. <laughs> um, Correction. Yeah. And so my parents divorced. That was really hard um, for my sister and I. There's two of us we deal with things differently. Like for her, it was just like, she's a very outward personality, like, and you you could just kind of see it all unfolding. For me, a lot of it was inward. Definitely had my moments where I was screaming to the pillow and beating my bed and things like that. Um, But in a lot of ways, I lived as if it didn't affect my life. And I don't even know if I could say I was trying. And that's the thing is sometimes we can look at purposeful suppression as like, well, that's unhealthy. But sometimes there's suppression that's that's just subconscious. And I did know it was an issue emotionally, and I didn't always feel the effects of it. And sometimes it would be heavier than others. But then when I became a Christian, I just remember the freedom and not even just the freedom, but the joy of knowing God is my father. Yeah. And he's a father that will never leave. He's a father that is always faithful. And that just like, that radically changed everything. Now, this is all to say, I still love my father. I still talk to my father. We still talk and I believe he's walking with the Lord. But there's still real like issues there uh, that, that occurred that did deeply scar and affect the trajectory of of our lives, like in an emotional sense, and and it affects it affects how we interact in all different sorts of ways that we don't even know. And so I can remember like how healing it was to think about that. And even for people who do have their fathers intimately involved in their lives, God is still a greater father, mm. and that's such an encouraging thing. But so that was like 15, 16 years old, around fifteen when I when I recognized that, and it was so encouraging. And, you know, you could almost say like it, you know, yeah, just, yeah, that was it. Like, okay, like that's done with, but that wasn't it. Um, When I was 23 and I was working after graduating college, um, there was this uh, particular older gentleman, probably around my parents' age, who I worked with. And every now and then we would grab lunch and you know, he'd stop by and talk or I'd drop by his office. And one day we went out for lunch, came back and we sat down at a table uh, with this lady. And I worked at a missions organization at the time. I, st- I still work in a missions organization, a different one. And he started talking about some of the missionaries in his region in Africa. And this lady there just like, she started crying because of just how She's talking about the deep commitment and the passion and the difficulties and all these things. And she started crying. And then I started noticing that like I was feeling tears come up too, but it wasn't for the same reason. And so I was like, whoa, like where is this coming from? Like I tried to hold him back. And then we finished up lunch. I I, I managed to make it through without bawling and uh, went to my cubicle and it hit me was I realized why I enjoyed his company so much. And it's because I saw him as a, as a father figure. And it was just like all these emotions <laughs> that, you know, That's something deep. that I felt yeah. like, oh, it's dealt with, you know, because yeah. God is my father. And amen. God is a greater father than anyone else could ever be. They're trying their hardest. But at the same time, God has a design. Mm-hmm. 
and God designed the family unit. Unit, and you, we see yeah. that in Genesis with not yeah. only Adam and Eve, but then that proclamation of what happens when a man leaves his father and mother and cleaves to his wife. So God had a design, and yeah. I was just recognizing in that moment how there's still some loose wires from that design being cut and conflicted, and and you know problems happening there. And I I went so I got up from my cubicle. I went to his office. I was planning to have this brief conversation. I sit down. As soon as I start to try to talk, I just start bawling. And I just like couldn't even talk. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> and basically, I just told him, you know, I realized why I look up to you so much and why I appreciate you. And it's because I see you as a father figure. And, and I asked him, like, can we can we just hang out sometime? And that's just an example, I think, of, of what you were talking about, Anna, of, of ignored grief. At some point, we're going to have to deal with it. And so it makes sense to seek that out because that is, I think, a part of our sanctification and a part of becoming whole yeah. is dealing with scars. Yeah, absolutely. And I, one thing I just want to say really quick, too, is just from a practical side, because I am an counseling major. Grief is a process too. And so even just as I'm thinking about all the other things in our life, like how God created us, like stuff is a process. So even our Mm -hmm. grieving can be a process. And so Nate, just as you were touching on like, Hey, you just had this bubbling up of grief just from years later, like that's normal. And so sometimes, especially as, and I love that you also touched on how we process things because I'm an internal processor. So I grieve over things that I've had years ago. And some people you know, externally process their grief, but don't be surprised as, you know, years go by. If you have just days where you're like, I just feel so odd, or I just feel so sad. And all, mm-hmm. you know, that's because grief can, you know, come out over a series of times. So it's not just like a one and done thing. Like, Hey, I, you know, cried today and that was great. I'm all grieved over and I'm, done. I'm good. Um, it can be a process and it can be frustrating, but somebody's, said that, you know, the process of grief isn't just like an incline up where you get from, you know, your low point to your high point, but it's like a squiggle and you're going to have good days. Yeah. You're going to have bad days. And that, I think that oftentimes we're tempted to separate, you know, you know, our faith from what the world says, you know, the grieving process should look like, but I think they need to actually be like, we need to invite God into our grief and invite mm-hmm. If you're struggling, yes, I highly like counseling has helped me so much. And not just because I am in a counseling major, but I didn't know how much I needed to talk to somebody until I actually was sitting before a person and just bawling. Hmm. And so just even in a practical sense, like if you're, you know, listening to this and you like you don't know what you're feeling or you've had these incidences of, you know, you've experienced a really somebody passing away, but even things that we don't even know that might cause us to grief, like a lost relationship or if somebody, you know, saying something about us and our reputation or, you know, those are really big instances where we, we can like, we can grieve over. Um, yeah. So just in that, like, don't separate our faith from, you know, what we like counseling or all those things, like bring it together and invite God into the grieving process and reach out if you're, if you're grieving and if you're experiencing those things and yeah, but don't be surprised and don't be discouraged too, because if you have like those up and down days, because I still have days where I'm, you know, struggling from things a year or two years ago, but it's a process. And and that there's almost a comfort because it's just as God's not satisfied with you know, a shallow faith, I think God also wants to create a deeper healing too. Mm. And it's not just a surface like, Hey, I've got my act together. So I didn't cry today. So that's my check mark for I've grieved enough, but it's Mm. God wants to do a deeper healing and he does it over time. So that way it's a lasting thing too. Um, and so in that, when you have those days, like just go to God and be like, Hey God, I don't even know what I feel. Or I, I just need you to enter into this grief with me because I'm lonely and I don't feel like anybody knows what I'm feeling, but would you just come and be with me and then also show me how to step forward and not just stay here, but how to heal. And, and 
Mm-hmm. So there's there's practical steps we can take too, and I could go into other things too, but I don't know. I don't want to take up all this time, but there's the practical and the spiritual that can come together. And I really have seen the benefit mm-hmm. in my own life of don't underestimate the tools that God has given, you know, counselors and people to speak into our lives. Those, those are there for us to utilize, but also allowing the Holy spirit, allowing the God of all comfort to come and to, to heal and to do what, you know, the Holy spirit, he's our comforter. And so just allowing him to have that place in our life too. Yeah. I have a question for you, Anna, actually regarding counseling. Oh no. You can probably answer this for me. Okay. What would you say to someone like me? Because I feel like I eternally process, but I also externally process. I don't think I do one or the other better. I feel like internally, I am always in my brain. Mm -hmm. I'm an introvert, so I'm always inside. I'm right there with you. But I was just talking to Nate the other day. I was like, I feel like I talk more when I'm hurt. Mm. (laughs) Can people be both? Can people be both internal processors and external processors? I would say, I would say yes. Um, I would also say, who are you comfortable with when you're hurt? Do you tell everybody or is it specific people that you are prone to tell everything to? Because for me, I, I'm an internal processor. So I, like even in conflict styles, I've realized that I need a couple of minutes to actually know what I'm thinking because my mind will go blank if we're having a conversation. You ask me something just like yes or no. Um, That's me all day. But for me... I will, I have my safe people that I know that I can trust with my heart. And so for them, if I'm hurting or if I'm really discouraged, like my sister Rachel is one of those people, I will go to her and I will just like talk everything out. I'm like, I have to tell you everything I'm feeling right now because otherwise I'm going to explode. To answer your question, I would say, yes, you can be both. I would also say maybe it's some specific people that you feel really comfortable with that you just, you know, like Nate, I know that you guys have been close, or Macklin, or um, those people that you just, you know, you're your go-to people, and they're going to give you emotional support, but they're also going to point you to Christ. And so I know that when I'm struggling, those are the people that I go to. So I would say yes, but I would also say that maybe it's the specific people, unless you like to talk to strangers on the street and tell them your life story. That's a thing too. No, no, that's (laughs) definitely not a thing. Which we (laughs) might need to talk about if you do that, (laughs) because... Yeah, that would be a problem. <laughs> Let me tell you about my childhood. Uh, <laughs> there you go. Welcome to money. Bus driver. Okay. You know, I don't. I've had people tell me weird things, so who knows? <laughs> That's true. Uh, just in connection to that, Givens, like I was thinking, how you can be an internal processor and have, you know, a greater or lesser likelihood mm-hmm. to responding to an invitation to be open. Sometimes, you know, mm-hmm. you might, you know, certain people like doesn't matter even if you dig deep like they just don't want to talk about it but sometimes there's people who are internal processors who they're going to keep it in the head all day mm-hmm. until somebody's willing to say like how are you really and then it's like mm. well blah, 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 blah. that's know, a good just, like, point they'll just spill the yeah. blood <laughs> well since you asked <laughs> yeah tell me Kristen. <laughs> yeah we'll talk you know, after this that's because right. it's it's almost like <laughs> It's uh, sometimes there can be this feeling of like, oh, I don't want to dump on somebody. Mm. But then when it's like when mm. somebody invites you to, then it's like, oh man, like oh, I I can share, mm. and it's just like, well, I'm just gonna spill it. Like, here it is. Here that's yeah. why. And and so maybe that can even cause that confusion. Like, am I an internal or external processor? Some sometimes it's yeah. it's also dependent. I think on if somebody invites us into that. Mm. Which sometimes we, I agree. we do have, it, that's a blessing to have. I think we, we can't always wait for that, especially for those of us mm-hmm. who are primarily internal processors, because I'm also that way. Man, we need an extrovert on this podcast. Well, I would also <laughs> but, say, yeah. too, yes, that for introverts, <laughs> like, um, for me, I have to learn, man, I feel like there could be, like, part two of, like, how to support people in grief and also how to, you know, practical <laughs> steps to this. But um, I mean, we don't have to stop. We can keep Okay, going. I wasn't we'll sure what your time. Um, I would also say that for – I have learned that sometimes I will have gotten too past the point of where I needed to talk to somebody and then I will just explode. And so that's also a thing for people. And there's no, you know, internal versus external. There is no better word. It's just a way of processing. So let's just clarify that too. 
but I have to watch my breaking point because I need to talk to somebody and I need to process and get support before I get to the point where I just explode because that's also not a great place to be where you have been just so in your head and just not talking to people and just like, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this and focused. And then you'll just kind of explode and dump randomly on somebody. Um, So that's also another thing Mm. (laughs) that internal processors can do. But I would, I would say you could be both. Yes, I have too. And usually it's, uh, it's on unlikely people and they're not always prepared for it. So (laughs) (laughs) also throw that caution on there too. (laughs) Yeah. Be careful. Yes. Be careful. (laughs) Okay. Another question I have for you, and I'm only asking this because I feel like there's something wrong with me. Okay. So that's also normal too. I've been seeing my counselor for going on five years. Like I said, I've never once shed a tear in my counseling sessions. Mm -hmm. And mind you, I have talked to him about some very traumatic things. However, I could literally talk to a friend, you know, about, you know, about the same thing. And I'm like literally holding back tears. And I'm like, is there something wrong with that? Like, is that normal? Because I feel like I should be able to cry in my counselor's office. (laughs) Like he's at this point, he's not a stranger. Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) I I would say that's normal, Christian. Um, don't worry. Don't think that you're too weird. We all have to be a little bit crazy. So I'm not going to say you're not crazy because we have to be a little bit crazy. We're all a little weird. But again, I would go back to I'm not a person that cries easily. It really takes a very – it takes the right question like Nate was referring to or – I've even noticed that there is a personality or a spirit about somebody that I feel very emotionally safe with, and that will allow me to enter into that vulnerable place of crying. And so it's not that that person doesn't love Jesus and doesn't have, you know, the spirit of Christ in them. It's just like, like I have one friend and I know that I am more prone to cry with her than I am with like some of my family. And that's not because I love her more or love them less, but it's just there's something that connects in our heart and our spirit that I'm like, I can cry with you. And again, I think it's a processing thing too. Sometimes grief is a delayed process for some people. And if you are not a crier or if Mm -hmm. you're somebody that just, um, yeah, if it's okay. I wouldn't say that you're weird and I wouldn't say that your counseling is ineffective if you're not crying because I don't think you should be crying like weeping profusely every counseling session. Um, that's a lot of tears. Good to know. Um, you need some water if that's happening. But um, <laughs> right. I, I would say that if you are crying with friends, that is a sign that you are okay too because even if you're like holding back tears or like if you feel that in you, that's normal. And I think grief is going to manifest different for different people. And for some people, it's crying in a counselor's office. And some people I, I know that do not cry in counselor's office. And they're like, this is kind of weird. But it's just, it's just people are different. Yeah, it does feel weird because I mean, I don't even cry with my friends often. Yeah, but I can just say for the, a recent event, like, I was talking to someone and I was talking and I started to like, choke up. I was like, Oh, what is going on? I was talking about the same thing with my counselor in a different manner, mm-hmm. you know, like, cause there's one you can be more open with sometimes mm-hmm. and the other one is just you know, a little more big. And I'm just like, why am I choking up here when I wasn't even choking up with my counselor who I am open Yeah. With? Well, even in that, <laughs> I, sometimes it's the second time around that I actually understand what I'm saying or I feel. And so sometimes with my counselor, I've said things and I'm like, yeah, this is what it was. And then later I'll find myself crying in my car because I'm like, wow, I actually was able to articulate that or with a person. And I actually had a moment to sit and let it like resonate with me. Like, hey, I wasn't okay in this situation or this person really hurt me. And I'm mad at myself for being mad because they're gone. And I'm mad that I'm angry at them. And I'm like, it's just, you know, it's very, it's multifaceted. And so I would just say that that might be a way that your body is expressing grief and it's like accepting and it's acknowledging it and it's processing it, which is good because grief, like yeah, my counselor always talks about like you're processing and you're, you're moving it through. Like grief isn't just something that you mm-hmm. s- get stuck in, but like it's a process of moving it through and how yeah. we grieve is like those coping and like all those little things to get us through moving those stages. So yeah, I don't think you're that weird. <laughs> that makes me wonder. <laughs> I appreciate too, that. Like, 
and I don't, I haven't, I haven't been in any kind of like formal counseling. Yeah. I'm not setting. a formal counselor, by the way. I'm in my bachelor's, just so you know. So I'm not a certified counselor. Just Talk disclaimer. So if anything I say, yeah, Dr. Anna, if anything I say doesn't work, don't <laughs> call Christian and tell him that the advice I gave didn't work because this is a disclaimer. <laughs> Yeah, we just we just talking here. Yeah. It does make me wonder, like, so clearly we've had like events and experiences and various things um, mm-hmm. in our in our minds that have caused grief. And sometimes I wonder if it's a relational connection that will turn that into something that we would suddenly sob over. Whereas, like, mm-hmm. maybe in a counseling there's like a certain safety you feel in a counseling environment where you can just say anything because this that's what this person is here for and you're not they're not going to look at you weird or whatever or even they're not going to look at you weird but you know they're also not going to like hug you or whatever so there's there's two sides of that there's not there's almost not relational consequences or rewards i wonder if you can get in and just be like boom just like let everything out and things that you don't even understand or know and suddenly now it's more clear and and i don't want to say it's in a non-emotional way because that's probably not accurate but in a uh almost in like a factual like like your brain is becoming like this fact sheet and everything is just like spilling out and maybe you're there's things you're realizing as your counselor is asking you questions and as you're like examining things it almost seems like more of a uh like the scientific process in a way like there is emotion like what you're examining is emotion but you're also examining wirings and how things are connected to this and that but i just think also something about like being with a friend Mm -hmm. um, where there is a relational consequence or relational reward like and there's there's these experiences that you have with this person yeah. Um, that it may not be that you were trying not to be emotionally vulnerable with your counselor. You were probably trying to get it all out there. But there's just experiences that you have with a friend that would cause you to just like break down in a way that you wouldn't expect because yeah, that's of the true. relational aspect. Yeah. And sometimes in counseling, I get in my head and I'm like, okay, well, is this person expecting expecting me to cry? And then I'm like, I'm not going to cry because they expect me to cry. Yes. You know, there's that too. Yeah. So there's like the little mental games we play with, with ourselves on top of everything else, which we're yeah. crazy. Mm-hmm. Humans are just, <laughs> we we're are. funny little creatures. We are just weird. <laughs> and not to mention like trauma too, because I think things that we, that's, this is just a little tiny side note. There are big capital T traumas and little T traumas. And sometimes we don't recognize the significant impact that things have on us. And that can also affect our grief stages because that actually will alter your brain and your brain's way of healing. Um, And so even like the loss of somebody can be a traumatic experience and not just, it's not, and I don't want to say just grief, but it's not solely grief. It can also be something that traumatized you i agree and even like a relationship or like people that were close to you or church members that were close to you and that you know you expect them to you know love one another as christ and you know all these things and all of a sudden it's Mm -hmm. gone and it's like this total shaking of i want to say your faith but like god what is going on here so i would also just put that out there too that That's another reason why it's, it's good to have people to talk to because sometimes we don't even realize the significant impact that it can have on us mentally, emotionally, and even physically like that affects us physically too. Yeah, it does. I've definitely experienced the physical side of my grief Mm. when it comes to the church stuff. Yeah. Like I, I was telling on the episode on church that I literally would get physically like disturbed driving towards the old church I was going to I would just have the most worst like fears come into my mind Mm -hmm. like I couldn't sleep like I would have dreams dreams about like people who were in the church and some of them were like dreams of reconciliation some of them were dreams of just like viciousness Um, I couldn't escape it like I literally couldn't escape it I 
have less of it now, but I've also felt like this has affected my memory even. Mm-hmm. It does. <laughs> if that makes sense. No, it totally does. Like my Rich memory is not, it's not what it once was. And I'm not saying that it won't be what it was, but like I literally have to try so hard now to remember things that I typically would remember. Yeah. And I'm like, this is kind of embarrassing. If it's like, it's embarrassing. Yeah. And I guess for me, the trauma comes from the fact that, like you said, these are people that claim Christ. Mm-hmm. And to me, in my mind, before I do any harm to a brother and sister in Christ, like intentionally, like it felt very intentional, some of the things that were done, I'm going to go to them first and clarify and and make sure I have all the facts right. Yeah, and that's scriptural. We're supposed to go to our brothers when we're like, if yeah. we have something against someone. Like that's what we're yep. supposed to do. I would go to the person and say, "Hey, I hear this is what your family has done. Is this true?" And I'm not saying everyone has the right to do that, but people that were closer to me did have the right to do that, and I would have talked to them openly and honestly, be like, "No, why would you think that I'm capable of doing that? You know my character." You know, you say that I'm one of the, the people that has the most integrity in your life or, you know, I've heard things like I'm just saying I do. Yeah. But I'm just saying like you hear these things about your character and now now you're saying something different about my character mm. in a very public place. And it hurts because you didn't even come to me to confirm it. Yeah. Now all these rumors are literally on the news mm. and I can't even defend myself <laughs> because it's just not... It, what do I look like going on the news and rebutting, rebutting what you said? Yeah. You know, it's, it honestly hurt me so much. Yeah. I don't trust people, yep. honestly, at this point. And, and it's been hard because even at my new church, I've, I've admitted to my pastor, like, I don't want to welcome new people into my life because I'm not in a good place. I'm not happy, go like cheery, go happy Christian. Like I typically am. Like, I'm not a pleasant person to be around all the time because I just, I'm dealing with stuff. Yeah. And I don't want to introduce people to this part of me mm-hmm. because it's unfair to them. Yeah. And I'm dealing with so many different things at one time. And I'm like, Jesus, what else could happen? And then, of course, the pandemic happens. Like, yeah, I know. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Now the whole world is traumatized together. <laughs> oh, it is. Okay. I was just going to say it is true. Like, <laughs> I'm just saying, like, this is, it's too much. Yeah. I right. need, I need a telecom swing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. It's a really, I mean, and then that's grief over, you know, it's the loss of relationship and then it's loss over, you know, what people think about you and it's loss of over, like, I'm totally, I can't do anything because any move I make is going to be the wrong step and so it's yes that's it's so many levels and it's so multifaceted and so I would just again encourage grace too as you're dealing with these things because you know I still have things I'm working through and I know Nate has things he's working through too but just an understanding that it is hard and it's as hard as it feels and relationships are messy relationships are hard and we're not Jesus and we're not you know we're not perfect. We're not supposed to be perfect, but also just recognizing that it's okay that it's messy because that means God's going to heal. And that's more room for God to come in and heal and to have patience for yourself too. And patience for just the place that God has you because, you know, he doesn't just, there's no turning in him and there's no shadow and there's no manipulation. There's no, you know, his character is good and it's not just a shallow word good but that means Mm -hmm. there is no evil in him he is incapable of evil so even when we go through hard things that's not his evil and his intent is not to hurt us or to be evil towards us and even when other people hurt us and so just again i would encourage you to have patience and even with involving new people and stuff like that it's okay to need to take a step back too because taking a step back doesn't mean that you're cutting people off and things like that, but it's, it's an acknowledgement of where you are and being honest before God and just knowing like you're working towards God and you're not just not being content to stay in that place, but like going to counseling and talking to people that's moving in a direction and it's not always going to feel the way that it does. And I know that it's easier said than like really accepted sometimes. And I have a hard time with it 
knowing that too, but just as somebody that has experienced different kinds of grief too, like the way that it feels, it's going to shift and time brings healing as God's, you know, spirit is healing and that work in us. And so just having patience too, and allowing the Holy Spirit to work. Um, what you were saying, Christian, about, I think in particular, how our grief can be associated with people, but then also how our grief is meant to be healed with people. It, it brought me to a question that I wanted to ask, I guess we could say two questions, but how has, you know, for you guys, how has your community responded to your grief? So friends, family, church, and positive and negative, but then two, what is the role of the community in your grief and especially God's community, the church? So yeah, like, how's your community responded to your grief and what is the role of the community in your grief? Okay, how the community has responded I can't speak for the whole community um, at my new church, but I would say for the leadership that knows and I've talked to about what's happened, they've responded with grace, like so much grace. Um, one of my grief counseling sessions, Pastor T was inviting me to just like reevaluate my relationships with people, like everyone. He's like, just list out everyone you can think of. Like put your closest people in one circle, put the next layer, and then put everyone else that you can think of out in the outer box. And like underline the relationships that have changed. And, you know, if there are relationships that are not, like you don't think you can move forward with, allow yourself the freedom to just release them, you know? And it's not saying that you don't want to forgive. He still charges me to forgive Mm -hmm. and encourage me to forgive, but he's saying, it's okay to let go. Mm. So that invitation to just let go of people who hurt me is, it's kind of freeing in a way. It's like, I don't need to leave the door open. Now, if like, I guess for me, I feel like in a lot of the cases, I have not wronged you. You have wronged me. And I'm not saying that there was no wrong done. What I'm saying is that I personally did not wrong you. Now, what has happened has caused a lot of mistrust in the community, and I get that. That is, I'm not excusing anyone's mistakes, but what that has caused is for us to be divisive and to make up things that did not happen. So in that instance, I don't feel like I owe anyone an apology because I have not done anything. I feel like a victim. And I was expressing that, and I was like, I don't feel like I need to go to them and ask for the forgiveness. Although... I want to, you know, if I have wronged you, I will, I will say, hey, if I've hurt you in any way during this time, please allow me to say I'm sorry and I, I'm truly repentant. But I guess for me, being hearing him say that you can walk away as long as you are willing to forgive still. Like, it doesn't mean that you guys are going to be like things were. Things do not have to be how they were. Mm-hmm. You're basically at this point saying, Hey, I love you with the love of the Lord. And if things aren't how they were on this side of eternity, I pray that as you are Christ, child, I will see you on the other side and we will have a glorious union then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's where it has to be sometimes. And that's hard. Yeah. it's And it's big. It's big trusting God with those relationships when it's like that person has been in your life for so long. It almost feels, I don't want to say mm-hmm. sinful, but it feels, because that's something I've had to do too is like, really assess like God who do you want to be in my life and who is actually like encouraging me towards you and who's who's building up my faith and who you know and not saying that we you know assess everybody around us like okay you can stay in because you're good for me and you can't because you're not good for me yeah yeah yeah. but there's also like trusting trusting God with relationships and when those relationships have been that trust has been broken or that you know relationship has crumbled 
just giving it to God and say, okay, Lord, if you want this in my life, you have to repair it because I can't do anything. And just like setting it aside and letting him, you know, if that person is supposed to be in your life, then God will bring them back. And it's not something that we have to like, yes, we maintain relationships and try to, you know, pursue peace with all men and do what we're supposed to do, but also trust that God's big enough that if this person is supposed to be in our life, then he will bring them back. And that's not to say that I don't, like I said, I pray for reconciliation on all fronts. Absolutely. I pray for peace. I pray for those things. But like you said, I I am a believer that if they were meant to be in there, that God will bring them back. There's no stopping God's plans. There's no thwarting his plans. So that goes for like the relationships at my church. That goes for friendships that have fallen apart. That goes for all of those relationships. If they were really meant to be, and if God wants those people in my life, then it will happen. And I trust him with that fully. And the time apart hurts, you know, it it crushes me. But I've got to place it in his hands. Yeah. Yeah. So what was what was the second the, question? <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I was just asking, you know, how's your community responded? And so in two ways, I mean, one, you have community that responded poorly, you know, but yeah. then you have community that responded well, which I think it's probably typical, and that's probably encouraging for people to hear um, that some, you know, sometimes there's both, and and it's encouraging to know that you've got Pastor T to be there and to help you uh, and give you counsel through your grief. And the second question, and Anna, you're welcome to weigh in too, and just like how, like what the role of community has played in in your grieving. But the second question is, you know, what is the role of community? in our grieving. And the reason I bring that up is because sometimes our traumas and our griefs and, you know, sufferings can be things that make us self-isolate and regardless of what they are, but especially when they're related to community in some way. This is what happened last time I opened up to somebody this is what happened. This is what the church did to me. And it's like, well, because of my experience with this church, therefore the church did this to me. And so I'm going to kind of jump ship on that front of like opening myself up. And I just think, I think God is, does a remarkably well job of addressing our stubbornness. (laughs) Yes, he does. Yeah. And when we are trying to go about grieving in the least vulnerable way to pull us out into the most vulnerable things in order to bring true healing that wouldn't have happened otherwise. So in the sense of like, sometimes the healing that needs to happen from being hurt by our community is actually being blessed by our community or another community, et cetera. Um, Yeah. And if salvation in and of itself is a community project, yes, Jesus secured it again. But like the book of Hebrews emphasizes over and over that we're supposed to spur one another on, right? So like, don't yep. neglect the gathering of yourselves together. Like, it's not it's not an option because the way that God intends to sanctify us is not just you and Jesus. It's through mm-hmm. the church. Yeah. And like, I think Ephesians 2 is probably the biggest one on that Ephesians two nineteen through 21, where it talks about us being built together as a body. And that just can't happen without the body. You know, it can't no. happen when you're a runaway nose or eye or yeah. mouth or finger or whatever. Well, and we're created to be relational. Like we are yeah. like, we have a relationship with Christ. Like even in the Trinity, they have a relationship in her, like yep. the three of them exactly. together. And so we like, we're created to be in relationship with one another and, I think that's a great point of how when we, you know, when we grieve, we don't, we feel messy. And so we're ashamed sometimes. And we talked, we joked that that could be another podcast because what do you do with shame? But, um, our often that natural instinct is to pull away and to hide because we don't know what to do with ourselves and we're ashamed to let other people see, or it just feels too messy. Um, but I think for me, it's kind of been a twofold thing. I've had to learn how to let people in and it's humbling, but I've 
also been met with a lot of grace and a lot of a lot of empathy because people who have experienced I don't know there's just something really sweet about somebody entering into you know your pain with you and again going back to what I said you know God comforts us so we can help comfort others with the same comfort we received but I've also learned that there's a difference between kind of just general sharing but um, also discernment and knowing who to share with just because yeah sometimes you can get tips that are not super helpful so but in general my I felt like my community um, of people have been really supportive and just the people that I would say are in my inner circle of, of counsel and inner circle of friends I've just received a lot of grace and especially on messy days when I'm like weeping and I don't know what to do with myself just the the grace that it's okay that it's messy and it's hard and just I've had friends that they're like even if you just want me to come and cry with you I would do that and to know that Hmm. like that stems from from the love of God because we can't you know comfort and we don't have that in us but that's you know, that's, Mm -mm. that's ways that God has showed me his love, um, is through the compassion and unexpected grace of other people. Um, especially in times when me perfectionist, Anna feels totally like I can't control myself in that sense. Like I'm just going to cry here today in front of you. Yeah. I think you answered it pretty completely. Yeah. I've learned that community's role in grief is to be present. Mm -hmm. It's just to be there. It doesn't mean you have to have the words. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't mean you have to be able to give anything physically, but just being willing to be present Mm -hmm. with the one who needs the support. And I like that you brought up discernment because everything is not for everyone to know. Yeah. And sometimes the discernment has to come from Mm -hmm. the fact that you're trying to protect other people Mm -hmm. that are involved in the pain. Yeah. You know, so yeah. everyone doesn't need to be involved. Mm-hmm. And that's something that we have to practice daily. Like, who do I share with and what do I share with this person? Yeah. Even when it comes to our own personal communities. Mm-hmm. Because if we are trying to properly grieve over things and we want to be honest, we need to be careful that we are not harming others that may be involved that may also know the other person. So, yeah. Yeah, I think discernment is a big factor of it. And just also being aware of how if we're in a vulnerable state of mind on certain days, sometimes there are just general practical wisdoms of this person is somebody I probably shouldn't share with because I may not be, you know, emotionally ready to handle. uh, I don't even know how to say this right, but to... Uh, some people just give advice that may not be appropriate for that time. True. And so, hmm. yeah, again, just going back to discernment of what is, you know, allowing the community big picture and just in our intimate you know, circle of friends, the beautiful role that that can play, but also like choosing those people well, too. Yeah. I would say ultimately comes down to Romans 12, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. That's probably the biggest, like the most complete picture I can give of what the community's role is in grief. Which makes me want to switch the topic a little bit, not from grief, but when it comes to dealing with grief over sin, how do we handle those conversations? Um, Let's say, for example, we have a husband or a father who was abusive, maybe has verbally, sexually physically abused a family member and of course there are consequences for those things but they're also mourning and grieving the consequences of their sin how do we approach our brothers and sisters who have those type of stories um, and these not have to be that deep it could be even someone who just dealt who used to just rob from people you know <laughs> like as a source of providing because that's all they knew yeah. and now they're like i don't know how else to provide mm-hmm. you know like there are different things that we can say that people may just like they've lost, they lost their way of living. They've lost their, someone they loved. Yeah. Um, 
they're grieving how they've hurt someone. How do we approach those conversations? Because I don't want our brothers and sisters who have had stories like that to feel like they're they're the other, you know, they're yeah. not. Christ came specifically for sinners. Yeah, He came for all of us. That means the one who's just a liar. That means the one who is a rapist, you know, yeah. that goes for the homosexual, the heterosexual, who's sleeping with everyone outside of marriage. That goes for all of us. Yeah. I don't want anyone to feel left out. Yeah. Well, one thing that comes to mind is the story of Paul. I mean, here he was doing what, you know, he said in his mind, yeah. formerly Saul. Um, he was persecuting Christians. I mean, he was killing Christians because he thought that that was what he was supposed to do as a righteous man and as a, a Jew who kept the law, but in actuality, he was killing people. And so I've, I've always thought about what, what would his, you know, what would his feeling be coming out of that? And when he had his, you know, transformation of God revealing himself, then he became Paul instead of Saul. What would that, that sense of like the things that I did, because, you know, the things in my past I did, how do you, how do you reconcile and how do you deal with those things? And so for me, like sin is sin in God's eyes too. And because, you know, pride is something that God detests, like he, he abhors it. And so it is just as wicked to be full of pride as it is, you know, the other sins that are perhaps more physical in nature. And so for that, I would just say we're all sinners too. And there is, you know, even playing field when it comes to sin, because there is no, you know, greater and lesser, but also like God is, God is gracious and the blood of Jesus covers all. And so for those who are, Amen. you know, who are repentant and have done those things, like God is a God of forgiveness and grace. And so those who come to him in true repentance, they'll be forgiven and they are, you know, made righteous in the eyes of God. And there is no condemnation to be found for those who are in him and, so I would say allow, like, it's okay to be, to grieve over your sin. I grieve over my sin. And I think that we need to be stirred to grieve over our sin more and how we, we get numb mm-hmm. to grieving over our sin and my sin of pride. And, you know, um, I should be quick to grieve over my sin, but I would say, let that have its, have its role and motive, like, let that stir you to pursue God even more and let that stir you. Like Paul became one of the most well-known people in the Bible and because of like where he allowed the Lord to take him and let that God doesn't condemn us and he, you know, wants us to walk in newness of life with him. And so like repent and mourn over your sin, but also let that motivate you to know like what you had and where, like what God has brought you out of too. And recognizing that God has called you out of, your sin and even allowing yourself to rejoice that God has called you out of that and walking in newness of life and that you don't have to stay, you know, bound to sin. And you have that recognition of what was wrong because that's a total, like that's the definition of repentance is to turn away and go in a different direction than what you were doing. And yeah. yeah. (laughs) Amen. Yeah. I think choosing Paul, is a great example. I think we, we do need to recognize this is normal. And, you know, that obviously there's, there's, a, there's in, in the world, which is a very sinful place, there's still yet this like societal list of greater and lesser sins and, and of greater and lesser disease uh, degrees. It's like people try to put things, even though we would be judged for all of them, like Anna said, which, can be judged for your pride. You can, and sometimes we're we're so caught on the grief of a particular sin that we're ignoring this other one that's like under wraps. Like you're grieving over your lust, but you don't recognize your pride. You know, you're grieving over that you know that time that you stole from a loved one, but you don't recognize you know other forms of selfishness and and whatever. So it, it it's important to recognize that when we're redeemed, we're re- totally redeemed. And we shouldn't magnify one of one particular sin that we have to this place of like, man, this is my one great blemish. But I will say, like, Paul can identify with us. So in First Corinthians fifteen eight through ten, 
he talks about becoming an apostle. He says, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me, he appeared also to me, meaning Jesus. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. And that is so beautiful because he's like, I don't deserve to be an apostle. Jesus chose me to be apostle. I don't deserve it because I persecuted his church. And then now he's calling me to grow it. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And I think everyone, as they're grieving, you know, former sins and lifestyles, they can say, by the grace of God, I am what I am. It was also shameful for Paul to be a persecutor, a former persecutor of the church. In fact, when he came to the church, at first people fled, like they didn't want to be around him. When Barnabas brought him before the elders in the church, like they were like, whoa, oh, he hold was up, like, you know. And Barnabas had to vouch for him. So there was shame associated with his sin. But he's saying, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his Mm. grace toward me was not in vain. And I think that's really beautiful. So one, knowing Mm. that God's grace towards you is not in vain. And you are what you are by his grace. Two, in uh, 1 Timothy 1, 15, Paul says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost or the chief. He came to save sinners and I am the worst of sinners. And he says, but I received mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost, as the worst sinner, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. And so then he also takes on his former sins as a testimony to say that through me, essentially everybody can know that they can be saved. If I can be saved as a persecutor of the church, as the worst of sinners, this is a display of Christ's mercy so that everybody can see that gospel in me. And then if we want to go through a list of like all the shameful sins, that's what Paul say, does in 1 Corinthians 6. 6. Ultimate one. <laughs> and then he, yeah, he says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of yeah. God? And you're like, oh man, who's that? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And if we look at ourselves and recognize, man, like we identify with those things, will we inherit the kingdom of God? But then Paul looks at the Corinthian church and says, And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And so, yes, such were some of us. Such were all of us. You know, like none of us were on the road toward inheriting the kingdom of God because we're guilty of those things, but we are washed. And if you look at, okay, well, what's the response of that? I would encourage everybody, like, Psalm 51, I think, is is one of my favorite uh, passages of Scripture, and in particular in modeling what grief over sin and repentance looks like. But it's also a passage of hope. Like, it's laying it bare like it is. David is like, I'm a sinner from my mother's womb, you know. But he asked the Lord to cleanse him, and he, and he hopes for the Lord uh, to cleanse him. And then... Lastly, in Romans 6, 21, Paul says, okay, what should you do now? For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? And so if you look from the beginning of the church, it's common for people to be ashamed of their former lives. And Paul is even encouraging this Roman church saying like, you weren't getting any fruit from those things that you are now ashamed of because the end of those things is death. But now you've been set free from sin and become slaves of God. The fruit that you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. And then that verse that we all know so well, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So 
it seems very biblical to acknowledge where you came from and that that is a part of your testimony and to preach that it's a part of your testimony. But then I think as Paul is saying, to identify with who you are now, washed, and like to, like that's why sometimes like in repentance and when I fall into sin, I, I run back to Romans 6, 7, and 8 because I need to yep. remember who my identity is. And if I'm wallowing in what I've done, then I'm beginning to identify with the old man. If I'm not turning to Christ and remembering that I'm baptized in him um, and what I've done is a part of my testimony of being raised from dead, from the death to life, um, not a definition of who I am for eternity future. Amen. I would say even to my own question or to my own change of subject, for those of you listening and who will feel like my sin is the worst and you're mourning it, Remember, Jesus himself said, blessed are those that mourn, for Mm -hmm. they will be comforted. We serve the God Mm. of all comfort. So mourn, Mm. please feel free to mourn because you will be comforted. Mm. You will be comforted. That's what Jesus Christ himself says in Matthew 5, 4. And also in 2 Corinthians 7, 10, it says, for godly grief produces a repentance Mm -hmm. that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief Amen. produces death so you are now a part of that godly grief and you have obtained repentance which is going to lead through eternal salvation so just i would say rejoice in the truth that you have found rejoice that your eyes have been opened by the work of the holy spirit rejoice that you can say like nate said you were one of those but you are now washed you know you're washed and mm-hmm. if you're finding yourself wanting to run back to those old patterns of sin just remind yourself of who you are in Christ confess be quick to confess be quick to run to those who will hold you accountable and who you trust and be quick to run to the cross in repentance and know that God is with you and he's going to constantly forgive you. You know, just be quick to confess. Don't stay there. Yeah. Continually run back to him. Mm-hmm. That's my encouragement. Good yeah. stuff. Yeah. Man, I think we covered a lot. <laughs> I think we are pretty covered. We're like a full out king says down comforter. We are covered. <laughs> I mean, unless you guys have any last minute things to add, I don't think I have anything else to say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> One thing that I intended to bring up was that I think grief for the Christian comes with a sense Amen. of death and resurrection. And I was going to try to formulate it into a question for you guys, but maybe it's just something to say as a last point um, that like Christian, in your case, like you've certainly been dealing with a sense of like emotional mm-hmm. dying, right? Like, and that's, that's a big part of what grief is but it's death before a resurrection and the Lord does intend to revive our hearts. Like um, David says in Psalm 51, 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit that it's not just death for the sake of death, but it it is death for the sake of a resurrection and for the Lord to uh, revive us. Amen. And make us new. And I think on the other side of that, of each grief that we experience, we come out with resurrection mm-hmm. in areas of our heart and reviving and um, and also with new and helpful mm-hmm. perspective. Amen. Mm-hmm. Amen. A new hope. All right. Well, my last note to you guys would be, remember, we're not living for this side. We have kind of, just to reiterate, we're made in a different way on what you said. We have an eternity that we're looking towards. Yeah. And I think I said that a lot in the last episode or the last podcast or last season rather. Like we have an eternity that we're looking for. So as believers, let's keep an eternal perspective. Mm. And remember that we're not living ultimately for this side. We have a future that is bright and it's hopeful and it's filled with pleasure yeah. being with our King and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Yeah. And I would just say this side 
in those times where you are walking through grief or if you are experiencing it now, just remember that, you know, God is Emmanuel. He's here with us. He is the the present and the God, the, the God who came near. So we might know the joy of salvation. We may know the, the comfort and the intimacy that comes with a relationship with Christ. And so there is hope. And so in those times of grief, like just remember that there is hope. And yeah, again, we're not living for this world, but through this time, like God is, he is Emmanuel and just cling to that. Amen. Well, thank you, Anna. Thank you, Nate, so much for taking time out of your day to talk with me. Yeah, sure about thing. Grief. I appreciate it. Thanks for trusting yeah. us to come on. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I trust the Jesus in you. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> Thank you guys for listening, and we hope that you will tune into the next episode. Peace. Bye. Peace.